Well, good morning. My name is Pastor David Pranga. I'm one of the pastors here at Brewster Baptist Church. And whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the sanctuary, we just want to welcome you to Brewster Baptist Church. And we thank you for being part of our service. Pastor Doug and Jill are away in Maine. They're getting some much-needed R&R, so please keep them in prayer this week as they'll be coming back on Wednesday. For those that are new, we are in a new, brand new, or in a new series called The Bible. It's the story of love, belonging, redemption, and hope. And each week we're going to look at one book of the Bible and then share one story from that book. And what's cool about it is, is that we're going to cover all 66 books. And you're going to hear one story from each of the books of the Bible. But before we begin, we're going to talk about the word grace. And it's been mentioned already here from the pulpit. But grace is like the key word in the story today. And unfortunately, grace is a word that we just really don't talk very much about. So when you think of the word grace, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? For some of us, we think of a ballet dancer performing on a stage. Grace can refer to the coronation and the movement of that ballet dancer. She performs gracefully. For some of us, we may even think of a queen. The queen is gracing us with her presence. The queen is showing dignity and elegance. And for some of us, when we hear the word grace, we think of food. It's time to eat. Let's be honest. When we hear the word grace, it's referring to a prayer that someone's going to speak before we have the meal. But the Bible uses the word grace in another way. And I want to read that to you. It says, grace means unmerited favor, extending special favor to someone who doesn't deserve it, who hasn't earned it, and can never repay it. So just think about that. Doesn't deserve it hasn't earned it, and can never repay it. And if you're a person that receives grace, that's pretty awesome. You're receiving something that you don't deserve. And I had to think to myself and come up with like an example. Like what would be a real-life example of grace? A biblical form of grace. And I have three teenage daughters, three teenage kids, okay? And uh, actually I have four teenage kids now that I think about it. But three of them have driver's license, okay? And I think in myself that probably they cannot wait till they get their first car. And just imagine one day as a father comes home to his three teenage kids that have driver's license, that I bring this gorgeous blue RAV4 home, this SUV, and it's all decked out. And since my two girls are up at college right now, I invite my son out to take a look at this vehicle, this beautiful Toyota RAV4. It has everything that you could want. It has four-wheel drive, it has the sunroof, it has great speakers, it's brand new. And I say to my son, it's yours. Now you could imagine his eyes would just light up. He would be ecstatic and he would be speechless. And he might be thinking, is this a dream or something? And he would probably be asking me for the keys of that vehicle so that he could take it on a test drive. So he can show it off to his friends. And he would probably take a picture and send it out to his sisters that are in college. <laughs> but let's go back to that definition of grace. 
See, the grace means unmerited favor, extending special favor to someone who doesn't deserve it, who hasn't earned it, and can never repay it. Did I show my son grace in this example? By buying my son a beautiful SUV? Yes. Did my son get shown favor? Yes. Did my son deserve it? Yes. No. <laughs> Did my son earn it? No. Is my son going to repay me for it? No. Sorry, Jeremiah, this is just an example of what grace is. And today we come across a story in Scripture that we see a beautiful illustration of grace and what we're talking about. But before we get to 2 Samuel, I have to share with you about a couple of different characters that we learn as we read through 1 Samuel that helps us understand the story. The first character I want to share about is King Saul. And King Saul was the first king of the Israelites. We learned a little bit about him as you read through the reading last week. And Saul started out being a really good king. He had his eyes focused on God, and things were going well, and then he took his eyes off God, and he went kind of downhill. Okay? And he went from a good king to a bad king. And that's the first character you have to know about. The second character you need to know about is a guy named David. And David becomes, as we find out in 2 Samuel, he does become king. And you remember about David is that he slayed what? The big giant, the Goliath. And we find out that Saul is very jealous of David. And we read about this all in 1 Samuel. And then we meet a third character, which is Saul's son. And his name is Jonathan. And Jonathan and David are basically really good friends. Jonathan is in line for the throne, but he realizes that he is not going to be the next king. And his friend, David, is. So David and Jonathan, they make a covenant with each other. And this is so important in our story that I need to read to you about this covenant. And this is Jonathan speaking. It's in 1 Samuel 20, verses 13 through 17. And Jonathan says, May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father, but showing me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. See, from this passage, we see that Jonathan and David, they make this covenant together. And this covenant basically says that when you, David, become king, don't forget about my family. Show kindness, show mercy to my family. And as we flip over to 2 Samuel, and that's what we're going to be reading about this week, Saul is no longer king. And both Saul and Jonathan are dead. And David has now risen up, and he is king over the Israelites. And the Israelites are winning battle after battle and after battle. And David is a good king right now. And the territory is increasing, and there is peace throughout the land. And David begins to think and take some time to think about his covenant with Jonathan. 
And that's where the story opens. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 through 13. I'm going to read you the first three verses. It says, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and he summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? See, what David is asking, he's remembering back to that covenant, and he's saying to himself, okay, I need to honor my covenant. And he goes to Zimba, because Zimba served at, for Saul. And he says, is there anyone from the line of Jonathan, from the line of Saul, that I can show kindness to? And even though he uses the word kindness, that's what our translations say, I would say the word is grace. Because that's much more than kindness. See, grace is demonstrating a love that's undeserved, unearned, and unrepayable. And we are going to see David exhibit grace to a certain person. As we go back to the story, Ziba answers the king. And he says, there is a son of Jonathan, but he is lame in both his feet. Well, where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel. See, Ziba shares with King David and he says, yeah, there is one person that's still alive. But he's also lame. But did David care about that? Of course not. David said to Zimba, just bring the man to the palace. Do what I say. Just do it. And Zimba goes, and he finds him. And we go back to the story, verse 4. It says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who, had, who was... Oh, wait. Let me back up a little bit. Sorry about that. I kind of forgot where I was. So what's interesting to me is, is, is that... The Bible is full of stories. Now we're in chapter 9, and we finally know about this person that was lame, but actually he's mentioned in chapter 4, verse 4. And we learn a little bit more of a context about this lame man. So that's what I need to read to you. Sorry about that. So verse 4 says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when in the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. The nurse picked him up and he fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and he became disabled. And his name was Mephibosheth. Sorry about that. I'm going to have to say that name a lot in this sermon. So I needed some grace upon me today as well. So when the nurse finds out that King Saul and Jonathan have died, the nurse picks up the boy. To protect him. He's only five years old. And he hurries, she hurries out the door. And she trips. And she loses the son. And the boy hits the ground. And as a result, the boy was permanently disabled. A spinal injury causing his feet to go lame. 
Imagine what life must have been like for a person who was lame, where their feet didn't work. Imagine the life he was living. Mephibosheth had been living in Debar, which means a place of no pasture. See, the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, a person of royalty who was once living in a palace, now is living in unimaginable desolation. He lives out in an obscure, barren field in Palestine. And why do you think Mephibosheth was hiding? Why do you think Jonathan wanted to make a covenant with the future king? See, it was customary for a new king to kill anyone left from the previous dynasty. The man was in hiding to protect his life. It was interesting, the only person who knew where he was was Zimba, a person who served Saul. Can you imagine the conversation between Zimba and Mephibosheth? Imagine how scared he was. He wasn't just a little bit scared. He was a lot scared. He was fearful for his life. And we continue on in the text. Verse 6, it says, When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. He said, Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness And I'm going to insert grace for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. See, David remembers his covenant with Jonathan. David wants to keep his vow. And David goes way above and beyond what was expected of the call of duty. And I don't believe kindness really touches the matter as much as grace does. And David offers him grace, something that he didn't deserve, something he can't repay in any way. And what David says is that he says to Mephibosheth, he says, you know what, I want to restore you to your place of honor. And not only that, but he says to you, I want to give you the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And this alone must have been amazing to the man. He couldn't probably believe what the king was saying. But, he, but David takes it a second step. He takes it up a notch and he says, David says, you will eat at my table. Mephibosheth, you will always be welcome with my family. You will receive the best food in the entire kingdom And you will be treated like royalty. And nobody will ever look down on you ever again. And that's why I call it grace. It's having someone show favor. Then receiving something you don't deserve. Something you couldn't earn. And something you couldn't repay back. And can you imagine how Mephibosheth must have felt hearing what King David had to say. Imagine if you were Mephibosheth and you were feeling just amazed at what the king just offered. You had to think about your life. You came from this desolated place to the king's palace. You were poor, living in a desolated area, 
to the palace that you have. You're eating scraps that were left for other people. And now you're going to get the most choice food of the nation. How does Mephibosheth respond to King David's offer? How would you respond to the king? Verse 8, it says, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He responds by what? Physically bowing down. And then he's being humble. And he asks King David, and he just simply says, You know, can't you see that I'm lame? Can't you see that I cannot work? I've been in hiding. Nobody has cared for me in decades. And then he asked David, why are you doing this? And David doesn't respond. He responds in a gracious way, and he adds more grace and kindness to the man. Verse 9, he says, And then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are farmed the land for him. And bring in the crops, so the master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephilosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Zimba, who had 15 sons and 20 servants, then Zimba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servants to do. So Mephilosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephilosheth had a young son named Milcah. And all the members of Zimba's household were servants of Mephilosheth. And Mephilosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. See, lastly, we see King David offer Mephilosheth one more act of grace and kindness. He said, the land that belonged to you, you don't have to farm it. You can use one of my servants' family and that they will farm the land for you because I want you being in communion with me at the royal table. See, this is an incredible story about a king who shows grace and kindness to one man. The king welcomes him to the palace. He welcomes him to the table to celebrate and enjoy life with King David. And what an honor that would be. But this story is just a picture of a story that God has for you and for me. Because Jesus is king. And he has a wonderful table set up for us. And Jesus invites us to be with him. In communion with him. In relationship with him. And God wants us to join him at the table and god offers us grace see when i think about jesus inviting us to the table sometimes i don't know about you but sometimes for me it's hard to get that picture of what it may look like to be at jesus's table so i had to think about it this week and i had to think about my own dinner dining table see christy and i we love and we always make it a point that we eat together an evening meal at least with our family and we sit around the kitchen table and I cherish those times when the kids are with us and they share about those about their day 
See, the people we love most, they sit around that table. And the meals we share. And there's countless stories that are being told at the table. And there's times where we laugh. And there's times where we have fun. And there's times where we dream about the future and what the future may have. And then we also just share about everyday things. And at the table, we also have difficult conversations around the table. And sometimes there's brokenness around the table. And there's times where we just pray at the table. See, tables are one of the most important places for human connections, for human contact. And throughout the Bible, we see that God continuously shows up at the table. In the Old Testament, we learn about the Passover. In the New Testament, the disciples are crowded around Jesus during communion. What Jesus has invited us to be part of his table. And the table is open to everyone. No matter where they are in their life, no matter what they have done in their life, God invites you to his table. He wants to have communion with you. And God extends his grace and his kindness and his love and his forgiveness to us. See, having a seat at God's table gives us the opportunity to have communion with him, to break bread with him. See, we can have fellowship with God at the table. Jesus enjoys when we are connecting with him. He wants to hear about our day. He wants to hear about our struggles that we are going through. He wants us to offer him praise. What matters most to God is that we're connecting with him, that we're showing up to his royal table. But Jesus also understands there are times where we are broken. When life is full of stress, when times are difficulty, even the disciples would stumble and fall, and Jesus knows that we will stumble and fall as well. And when tears are streaming down our face, Jesus will be there to comfort us, to give us hope. Jesus also understands that when we are at a seat at the table, that there's full of blessing. And Jesus wants to bless us and offer his grace to us. And he gives us the gift of salvation. And one day we will be able to experience the table with him in paradise, in heaven. And as Christians, we are adopted into his family. And one day we will have this great inheritance much more than we can ever dream. See, Jesus is all about grace. Grace is something we don't deserve, we have not earned, and we can't ever repay it back. So when I think of the story of King David and how he offered grace to Mephibosheth, it reminds me of how much grace God has for you and for me. See, the biggest gift that he has given us is his son, Jesus Christ. And through his death on the cross, he allowed us to have a relationship with him. And we are adopted into his family, and we can share in his inheritance. And Jesus wants us to come to the table. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you provide for each person here. 
a seat at your table. And I thank you, Lord, for the story of King David and how he showed grace and kindness, even though he didn't have to. He did it because he loved you and he wanted to keep his covenant. Lord, I thank you that you provide grace and kindness to us. We don't deserve it. It's nothing we've earned. It's nothing we can repay. Yet, in your love for us, you have given us your son, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for this blessing. Amen.